What's going on, everybody? Welcome into Bill's Chat. This is Josh McCarty. With me, as always, is Luca. Luca, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing good. You know, it was a nice, enjoyable kind of, what is it, two weeks off since our last episode out there and stuff, mm-hmm. and kind of just been enjoying a little bit of a mini offseason ourselves here. Uh, it's been nice kind of enjoying just, you know, not worrying about, I don't want to say worrying because it's not like we worry, but not thinking about the next and the the week to come and what we need to do for this and stuff like that. Just kind of like have a little bit of a sit back reflection period and just kind of enjoy my own life outside of this podcast, outside of everything we do for everyone that listens, which we absolutely appreciate and whatnot. But um, I'm doing good. I'm nice and relaxed. I'm ready to go, though, at the same time. And I'm excited to kind of put another episode out there and start another beautiful season of this Bill's Chat podcast. Well, I have good news for everybody out there. Everybody listening right now, I'm talking to you with your headphones in at the gym or you driving in your car. All of you, we appreciate it so much. We all collectively survived our first weekend without NFL football. There was XFL football, if that's your thing. I totally get it. Uh, we do have the combine coming up soon and you know, free agency will be in full swing. Luca, did you do anything exciting with your first non-NFL weekend? Um, I had a little bit of a date day, uh, today we're recording on Sunday with my lovely fiance. Um, that was nice. And then it was, you know, it's bandit season. Not that many Mm -hmm. people know what that is, but Saturday, it was just another bandits game. Crazy game. Don't have to get into it. Obviously. I don't think anyone really cares. Wild game though. Losing basically imagine losing your entire wide receiver core and somehow still having to come back to win in overtime. Just a wild concept. You know, you got an MVP, but then literally defenseman playing offense around him. That's what basically happened on Saturday night. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's other than that, just kind of relaxing, enjoying the days, watching some uh, golf. Nice to see Tiger back out there with the Genesis Open this weekend. And um, but yeah, I mean, the date day was probably the highlight of the weekend. You know, got to give the fiance a little bit of a shout out, a little pump up there. But, um, you know, just it's a relaxing time getting ready for, you know, tonight, then eventually to sit down and uh, rejoin you, Josh, to record this episode. Yeah, so I had a date night myself. Shout out to my mom, who is an avid listener of Bill's Chat. She watched the kids on Saturday. It's a three-day weekend, Mark. Uh, if, you, if you're if you so lucky to have off on Monday, President's Day, it's a little confusing because I had to think back it was Saturday. So she watched the kids, and I actually found myself in a woman's bathroom by accident because I got up to go wash my hands and was looking around, and I was like, huh, I don't I didn't even think about the fact there wasn't any urinals until somebody with long hair walked in. And I was like, that's embarrassing for her. She walked into the men's bathroom and then I looked around and I was like, oh, this is embarrassing for me. But anyway, we're not going to dwell on that. Um, all right, Luca, I want to start off with something that I've been kind of thinking about. And then you and I talking before the show started, it just rang in my head. So last year, last season, 2021, that ended with 13 seconds. I think there was a lot of regret with Bills fans, a lot of sleepless nights, a lot of what if, a lot of it should have been us. Have you had any of that this year? Have you had any, like, if only this, this, or this had happened? Have, have you replayed any of it in your head? Um, or are you sleeping a lot better at night than you were, say, a year ago? Oh, I'm sleeping like a baby. I mean, everything that happened and how the end of the season transpired, now with a month past it at this point in time, no no second thoughts, no kind of reflection period of what ifs and kind of whole situation. No, not at all. I've It's the reality of it all was exactly what had happened in the last time we saw the bills play was deserving and just 
unfortunately the reality of it. And there was going to be no other outcome. There was no other reality. You know, if you want to even pull a Marvel multiverse kind of theory here, there was no other universe that had the bills <laughs> winning that game. You were winning every single one. Dr. Strange wasn't going to tell you that one time you were winning. No, nah. that was probably the reality of it, unfortunately. And, you know, because of that, though, no. We're sitting here recording tonight on Sunday, February 19th, and not one moment has ever creeped in my mind of about like, could the Bills have made the Super Bowl? Could they have done anything differently? Stuff like that. It's like the reality was what they had in front of them. Everything they had done to that point led to that moment and that outcome was going to come. And it's just is what it is. It's kind of why I'm happy that I, I mean, I'm not actually happy, but we're sitting here recording mid-February. And we're, you know, starting the season two of our podcast and it feels right. Like it feels good to kind of start with a clean slate here. And it feels like it's the appropriate time to do so as well. This is the moment where, okay, it's the new season of our podcast. It's the new season to look forward to. And everything that had happened is exactly what basically should have happened based on everything we knew leading up to that point. It was just it's unfortunate. It's not where we wanted them to be and stuff like that. And you can absolutely kind of grieve in that kind of reality if you want to, you know, it's not where the expectations of the team were, but expectations are expectations, not reality. It's not facts. And the fact of this team being not good enough to get by the Bengals and probably not good enough to get by the Super Bowl champs chiefs and probably weren't going to beat a team like the Eagles and stuff like that. Like they just didn't have the ability to get to that point. That was real. That's the fact of it. We never even got to see a chance to see if they could take on the Eagles. But honestly, part of me is happy that we didn't have to do that because one, yes, it would have been awesome to get there and I would have been ecstatic, but that could have been an absolute disaster knowing that what we saw against the Bengals who were hindered at certain places, that Eagles team would have at full health absolutely just annihilated this team. So no, I've slept like a baby. I've, I've, I've accepted everything that has happened from the season. And honestly, I accepted it. What? 24 hours after it, it, it was just, it was what it was. It was nothing like 13 seconds where you really just had reflection for weeks and weeks. And honestly, probably months where you thought about what could have happened if you just didn't let those 13 seconds leap away. No, the complete polar opposites, the antithesis of that. It's just like, no, 24 hours later, what had happened is unfortunately what should have happened. We were not the better team on that day. And that's just the reality of it. Now I can lay my head at night and understand that we just have a future to discuss here on our content creation and stuff like that. And look forward to maybe hopefully not having that big of a disaster at that early point in the season. Weird thing to say early point in the season, but when you think about the expectations, I guess that's kind of what it is. With 13 seconds, it was so disappointing, but it was such a launch point for the offseason because we all were just convinced that the Bills were the best team in the league and they just missed a great opportunity. But let's, you know, let's play the feud. Let's get back in there. This team is ready to roll. And the other side of the coin here is this was not a painful ending. It was sad to see them just go out there and get demolished by the Bengals, but they were so uncompetitive in that game that any thought of them being the best team in the league that just missed out because they had a bad ending to their season is gone. And what it leaves us with, Luca, is an offseason wrestling with, is this team as good as we thought? Are they still in a championship window? Are, are, or are there significant holes here that need to be patched before this team can get back into the conversation that they started last year in? And I think, you know, there, there's a dance you can do with that. If, 
if you want to be optimistic, you can talk about the fact that Von Miller was gone. Daquan Jones was gone. That was huge. Jordan Phillips had one arm in that game. Um, Micah Hyde was not back. Tredavious White was like 60% of himself. So you can do the dance and talk yourself into the Bills were a lot better than what they were on the field against the Bengals that day. And it's not hard to do. None of this stuff is, is unrealistic to talk about. The Bills were a very banged up team. But what I think is it puts us in a very tricky offseason that we have to navigate through of should the Bills try to overhaul some things, reshape their entire roster. Um, you know, they've been a team that's invested a lot of resources on the defensive side. Is it time to shift some of those resources to offense? Some of the new challenges with players like Josh Allen becoming more expensive, Von Miller getting into the more expensive part of his deal. And I think that's where we're going to start with tonight is what we have in store for you tonight. Um, Luca and I are going to start our off-season content with the Bills, looking ahead, getting you ready for the fr for free agency, getting you ready for the draft. And what we have in store for you for the next couple of episodes of Bills Chat is a self-scouting of the Buffalo Bills. And what that means is before you can figure out what you have to add to the roster, you have to figure out what you have on the roster. And that's what Luca and I are going to do. We are going to take a deep dive into the offensive side of the football on this episode. We're going to go position group by position group, talk about what the Bills have in-house, talk about the unrestricted free agents they have, should they bring players back, and then what we expect the Bills to do with that position group. Now, what we are not going to do is we are not going to tell you they should sign free agent player X or they should draft player X. Those episodes will come. I promise you, if you stick with your friends, Luca and Josh at Bill's chat, we will get you all ready for free agency in the draft when the time comes. But tonight it's about focusing on in-house. We're going to take a look at those position groups and talk about what we predict the bills will want to do, whether that's sign a big ticket free agent, maybe sign a modest free agent, maybe invest a mild draft pick. Just kind of talk about the state of that position group. And I'm looking forward to that, Luca. But before we do that, we do have some news to get to. Bill's wide, or former Bill's wide receiver coach, Chad Hall, his contract was up and he is now the wide receiver coach in Jacksonville. And I think that was a little surprising for some Bill's fans. Chad Hall was long thought of as a superstar coach in the making. And I know there was that viral video in 2020 of the Bills receivers buying him a truck. We have a video up on Built-in Buffalo YouTube if you want to check it out for the full thoughts on Chad Hall and why he might have left. It, it really sounds like, Luca, uh, when you look at some of the names in-house, Joe Brady, Mike Shula, that Chad Hall was just looking for a chance to, to get onto a roster where he could be maybe a little higher in the coaching pecking order as things stand on the offensive side of the ball. Yeah, after the uh, kind of dust settled and we heard a couple other things, you know, including his wife, I believe it was, that was on a podcast discussing the move sister or, his sister sorry, is, is matt sister. stafford's wife yep you're yeah right. sorry sister matt stafford wife yeah that whole connection and stuff like that um and when you kind of heard all of those different kind of points it really seems what you kind of led there is spot on right he didn't see the progression to his job happening in this building in his mind and his thoughts and everything is in his you know, he wants to become an offensive coordinator. He wants to kind of get promoted through the ranks. He wants to see a brighter future for himself with, you know, whatever he's trying to coach or whatever kind of tree he's trying to kind of grow from. And it just wasn't seeming to be in this building. So taking a lateral move in Jacksonville, to me, it's not even a lateral move. He's taking a move in a place where he could, I'm, 
I would say he was comfortable here and he was obviously appreciated and everything like that. But now he's taking that opportunity to go somewhere else. Not, instead of under a McDermott, you're under a Peterson. To me, that's a promotion because now you're going to lo- learn a different style to coach at the highest level and especially with an offensive mind there in that position. And to me, that is something he can absorb from. He can really take a lot into and just mold himself into a higher caliber talent at the coaching position. And maybe he sees a better opportunity opportunity for him to grow as a wide receiver coach and eventually as an offensive coordinator and then so on and so forth. Maybe he can propel that into his own head coaching position in future years. Who knows? But it's just kind of uh, learn from different experience, kind of go under the wing of now someone that has a similar mindset to him, we'll say, you know, more offensive minded and just grow from there. It's it's not even a lateral move to me at all. It's actually kind of like a like a mini promotion kind of deal. You know, you're kind of changing yourself in the in the world that is the NFL in a move that you see even better growth happening for you. So whereas the position title itself may be lateral. I view that kind of as a internal promotion, we'll call it, or at least a mental promotion. He's really trying to grow somewhere where he can get to those big time promotions that he sees himself down the line being good enough for. And and he probably will be, I would imagine, as long as he goes on this trajectory that a lot of people in the know seem to have for him already. Like it, it definitely seemed like a smart move for him individually to kind of take that position and grow himself elsewhere. So the Bills had an opening at wide receiver coach and they filled it with Adam Henry, who was the wide receiver coach and co-offensive coordinator at the University of Indiana. But where his resume becomes really interesting, Luca, he has had three different stints in the NFL with the New York Giants and the Cleveland Browns. And then he also was with the San Francisco 49ers. But prior to that, he was at LSU. His time at LSU, the New York Giants and the Cleveland Browns lines up with when Odell Beckham was at all three of those places. So I think we're at a point now where the Odell Beckham conversation comes right back to the forefront of the conversation, especially when you we're going to talk about tonight, some of the numbers the Bills have at the wide receiver position. And, you know, we're not going to get into specific free agent ideas on the show tonight when we talk about um, different position groups. So I don't want to save that for this. But I think at least on a higher level, Luca, I think it's safe to say that the Odell Beckham and Jarvis Landry, if you want, was at LSU with Jarvis Landry in Cleveland with Jarvis Landry. And um, Ian Rappaport has said that Adam Henry is very close to both of those players. Both of those guys are free agents. And I I think both of those guys are going to be in play for the bills here in a few weeks. Yeah. To say they're in play absolutely makes sense. It's it, it would be kind of, wrong to not say that when you have a connection like that but that's all it is as well right i'm not going to go beyond that it's now you have you have created that link you have created that connection from point to point with that hiring but it's probably nothing more beyond that maybe they had the idea of he's already decent enough at his job he's good enough as a wide receiver coach he kind of has a track record or at least kind of a backing that shows he's worthy to maybe be brought in and fill that hole that was made because of Chad Hall and can do something different with that room and improve them hopefully but on top of it that little bonus is there that if being these guys are still entertaining that idea of bringing in an Odell or maybe now targeting a guy like Jarvis who can bring a different style element that I don't think a lot of these receivers have um yeah it, it makes sense but yeah we're it's not something that I even 
even if we were going to talk about free agents, Josh, I don't even think that it plays a role maybe, but it probably plays a role of at least having them in the building to then be heard. Right. Or at least them to hear what the bills have to say. I don't think it plays a role beyond anything that because it's not like he's the one calling all the shots. He's just the wide receiver coach. Like he can only do so much. He's only got so much pull. He's not McDermott. He's not the head coach. He's not the GM. So it's, it's an interesting hire from that aspect. And I, I think that his track record as well is good enough that I think it's a decent hire. Like I'm not going to sit here and call it amazing. I'm not going to call it horrible. It makes sense. The track record's there. Hopefully he can do something to improve this, you know, wide receiver core, whatever's there at the point of this season. But um, when it comes to the Odell Jarvis link, I think that link is interesting. It creates that solid link there that it's a great point and it's worth bringing up. But beyond that, at this point in time, I don't see anything beyond that until you hear maybe that Odell has visited, you know, the, the front office or Jarvis is in the building to talk about possibly signing and maybe what it would take stuff like that. Like, at this point in time, it's all speculation and we're still really early in the process that um, it, it's nothing more than just that link being created. I think you're spot on there. And it really, if you're Sean McDermott or you're Ken Dorsey and you're talking about Odell Beckham and Jarvis Landry, who really in Landry's case is going to be a one-year fill in for whatever team he goes to Odell at this point in his career has to be considered a year to year player, even though he probably would sign a multi-year deal with a team. Are you really going to base your wide receiver coach on a guy just hoping that if you happen to land Odell Beckham, that he has familiarity with them, or are you hiring him because you legitimately think he's the best candidate for the job? And certainly he has a long enough NFL resume to do that. So I, I think while it's fun to talk about, we all love connecting dots. I'm guilty of it too. And I do think that, you know, if if the Bills do want to dip their toe in the Odell Beckham water, having Adam Henry, who's familiar with him, is certainly going to be fine. Like that's 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 it couldn't be a bad thing. But one thing that's interesting about Adam Henry is he was quoted as saying or somebody was quoted as saying about him that he specializes with wide receivers that have big personalities. And that's where I want to talk about Stefan Diggs. Let's talk about Stefan Diggs, Luca. It's been an interesting off season already for the bills. Number one wide receiver. And it really dates back to that Bengals playoff loss where there was the sideline altercation with Josh Allen, where Diggs was visibly frustrated. Um, he, we had seen several other instances throughout the season. He got frustrated against the Browns and McDermott had to kind of reel him in. Um, he was very emotional in the Lions game. He got frustrated in the Miami game before Christmas, um, screaming, you know, give me the ball, give me the ball. Um, just a, a frustrating end to his season. And then Diggs left the locker room early, did not speak to the media after the game, did not speak at like locker cleanout the next day. And the next time we heard from Diggs publicly was Radio Row at the Super Bowl. And, you know, Super Bowl, so figure two and a half weeks by the time he's on the Radio Row interview since the season ended. Diggs did not sound to me like a player that was over it. Not that you'd want him to be, but he did. He, he sounded to me like he was still frustrated by how the season ended. He made reference to the point of we had been playing a certain way up until about week nine of the season. And then all of a sudden we stopped doing the things we were good at. And he was asked a question of what do the bills have to do to get over the hump? And he was like, I don't know. It's been three years. I don't have the answer for that. 
he entertained the question about going to play with his brother in Dallas, Trayvon Diggs, and he didn't shoot that down. But I mean, what's he supposed to say? And, you know, and then you want to add another layer to it. And this, you know, if you follow Stefan Diggs career, this is nothing new, but given everything I just laid out, it, it certainly is not comfortable. Um, Diggs has been tweeting some cryptic tweets out there. I have his timeline pulled up here in the last couple of days, even, um, you know, he says something of, you know, I stay out of the way and mind my business. Everybody knows what's up with me. Um, let's see. Da, 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 da. I could lose it all if I'm reacting to the petty things. So little things here and there. And look, I think we all know Diggs well enough to know that the way he acts on Twitter, I, I think sometimes he gets a little, little bored and he likes to just throw things out there and see what people say. But let's also not forget the fact that his Bills career started because of a cryptic tweet that made Brandon Bean reach out to the Vikings and say, are you sure this guy's not available? Um, Luca, do the di do the digs. Luca, do the Bills have a Stefan Diggs problem? Um, no, but I say that with not 100% confidence and kind of where my head is at with this whole Diggs thing because it obviously blew up when you made a beautiful thread that just highlighted the Radio Row uh, visits and every word he said and stuff. And I, I was even following with all of that to just... I thought you were doing a better job than even some, you know, media was kind of putting it out there. And it just highlighted every kind of word that he's saying, because seeing it in text is a lot different than seeing it in tone. So then I was like, I would see the couple things. I'd be like, I got to find a video of this because I need to see what tone he said this in. And to me, every time he spoke, everything was honest. It was hard on the hard on the sleeve. And it's just uh, it was kind of like a person that doesn't know where their position is anymore at their own job. And they really thought that things were going well, but they're kind of at a, a standstill and they just don't know what the future holds for them in their current organization because where they thought they sat and where they thought they had this kind of progression, it might not actually be there, or at least the road is blurred or it's, you know, it's not as clear. And it's, that can be a frustrating, confusing time. As someone that's even had something like that in my own personal life, when it comes to professions and stuff like that, you can hear a lot of things. You can see the trajectory. You can see where things are going. Things are improving. Things are growing. And all of a sudden, you hit this point where it's you, you might have hit a cross in the roads, and then things behind the scenes are coming, coming and going, and maybe you aren't as good as you thought, and maybe things aren't progressing as well as you hoped it to be. And the weird part with Diggs, too, is when you really think about it, the, the one image that people think of Diggs, Josh, and I really think this is fascinating, is it's the AFC Championship. He's looking back at Kansas City, getting their award and everything like that. He's watching the celebration. That was his first year in Buffalo. And after that point, it's technically been a decline. Slowly, but it's been a decline. And that was is what it's brought him to this point mentally, where it's like, it seemed like we were so close in 2020 or the 2021 playoffs, and then every year has been a step back, even though a lot of people out there will say if the 13 seconds doesn't happen, they would probably go on a more forward trajectory. The reality is that isn't what happened. 13 seconds did happen. And it was a step back, a very, very small step back, in my opinion, but a step back. And then from there, you really had a step back and the Cincinnati game happens. And. I like that Diggs is frustrated and confused all at the same time. I appreciate a player just being honest. It's not a cookie cutter answer. It's not something a PR department or his agent handed him. It was just him 
off the cuff, letting it know, be known how he feels about everything. And then these cryptic tweets and stuff he has been doing for a long time. You pointed it out. That's what even got Bean to reach out to Minnesota. I don't look at that as anything. I really don't. Like, it would take that plus people reaching out then to Bean and then Bean being open to trading him and then figuring that out financially and blah. Like, there are a lot more steps than just him sending out tweets that will get that ball rolling. So I'm not concerned with it when it comes to that because ultimately Bean is not moving him for financial reasons and then also just play on the field reasons. Like, there's just no world that he is going to entertain that idea at this current point in time. So I'm not concerned about that. Going back to his comments on Radio Row and what he said publicly and the frustration part of it, it's all warranted. It's all valid. I want one person out there to tell me where anything he said is just flat out a lie or just has no backing and no foundation or anything. It's all absolutely spot on. Everything and every moment he has had to talk about his frustrations with this team and not understanding where things are going and how they get over that hump and all that stuff is completely valid. It's why we're sitting here having the exact same conversation. If we're able to see it and he's able to see it inside the organization, I bet you he's not alone in that as well. And that is a discussion being had among a lot of different people where it actually does matter. That is what I read into that. That is all I see this as. I don't look at this as Diggs having a problem with the Bills themselves. Diggs just has a problem with where the Bills look to be going from here on out because what he thought he had and his you know, trajectory and the trajectory of this team and what he thought it was a year or two years ago is clearly not what it actually is anymore. And he has no answers for that. And he doesn't see any answers being provided to him by anyone right now within the Bills. That is the problem. It's not a problem with him versus the team and him not wanting to be here. That is not what I read into this at all. It's just him being frustrated that there is no answer for something like, where do you see this team going forward? Can they get over that hump? Can they make the Super Bowl? Can they do what this team was expected to do this previous season? He doesn't have an answer for that. And that's frustrating because he wants to win. He wants to get over that hump. It's clear as day. Everyone, Josh Allen, everyone else wants to get over that hump. He just doesn't have an answer for it. And that's a frustrating thing for someone that wants it that bad. If you don't have that answer, if you don't have an explanation, like if I can't explain to people why I'm not getting this promotion at the job, even though X, Y, Z all shows why it's the case, obviously I'm frustrated about it as well. And it's hard to explain to them. And all of a sudden you find yourself just sitting there, just not knowing what to do anymore. And when you are confused about something that big in life, it can be an extremely frustrating time overall. And I, I feel for Diggs. I feel for Diggs so bad. Like, cause he took flack too, for a lot of the things he said. And I just thought that was wrong. It's like, I don't want cookie cutter athletes. I don't want people that aren't opinionated and just kind of go with, I mean, ironically enough, go with the process. It's like, no, I want you to show that you care and that what just happened pisses you off, especially because you don't see where it goes from here. Like that is absolutely warranted and needs to be said. And I'm glad he was the one doing it on a big stage. Radio Row, Super Bowl week, all ears are on you. Everyone is listening. Everyone is watching what you're doing. And for him to take that moment, and I'm sure he understood what he was doing, and then save the things he said on the programs that he said it, it's absolutely perfect. And I love every moment of it. And it's absolutely warranted and beautiful. And I just 
hope that message was received by the Bills. And moving forward, they can then have discussions on possibly where their plans are moving forward. And then he can feel comfortable about himself again by the time they have to come back to camp and do the whole song and dance over again for the 2023 season. There's a long time until then, though. So a lot of things are going to happen. And it just hopefully it moves in a positive direction from here, because if it moves in an even more negative direction by the time the season comes around and then the next season does not move in any sort of forward position, then you probably have created a big problem with Diggs and the Bills organization and a rift will probably appear. So if you're out there listening and you're worried that Diggs is going to try to force a trade, it's really financially impossible for that to happen. Looking at overthecap.com. If the Bills were to trade him, they would take on more than $37 million in dead money. Now, they could designate it a post-June 1 trade, and that would be quite a bit more palatable as far as getting him off the books. But none of that cap relief would come until after June 1, so there would be really no benefit that happens during the free agent time. That's a long way of saying that if you're worried about this escalating to the point of Diggs not being here in 2023, I think we can calm your nerves about that. They would essentially have to rework his entire deal just to make it to where he could get moved. I don't anticipate that happening. I will also say this isn't a Terrell Owens situation where he's accusing, you know, back in, if you're old enough to remember this back in 2005, he had accused Donovan McNabb of in the previous Super Bowl being out of shape. And he had some not so nice things to say about Jeff Garcia at one point in time in his career. Like this isn't, this isn't that at all in the same stratosphere. Um, but it does feel like, Luca, since Diggs has come to Buffalo, it's been so perfect. Like he and Allen just clicked like that from that very first summer where they were essentially playing catch together in Florida with the other Bills players. And then I know that they played Warzone together and that was how they bonded. And they both talked about that. And then you'd see interviews with them. And it's like, man, these guys are like best friends. And then they had the Sports Illustrated for Kids cover where it was BFFs and liking each other's posts nonstop on, on Twitter. And then last year, there was a comment about Trayvon Diggs saying that Diggs, he wanted to play with his brother in Dallas. And Josh Allen commented under it, no. And Diggs laughed about it. And then Diggs got the extension. And, you know, there's the, the video from Detroit in Thanksgiving where they're one of them is mic'd up before the game and, and they're telling each other how thankful they are. And Diggs almost gets choked up saying like, you'll never know how much. And, you know, as a bills fan, it just warms your heart. Like, you know, those are our guys and they're superstar. It's everything you want out of your superstars. It's like, they're great. They love each other and we can't get enough of it. It's, it's awesome to see. It feels like we're a little ways from that right now. It feels like maybe there is, I would say a disagreement. I would say maybe they're not uh, aligned is what I would say. I don't, this is not Donovan McNabb, Terrell Owens. That's not where we're at. I don't think at all, at all, but I, I'll just be honest. And maybe I'll, I'll let you respond to this too, because I think we're going to come on different sides of the fence of this. And I think I'm going to be in the minority. I didn't love the sideline altercation um, in the playoff game. I, I didn't, I didn't think it was productive. I didn't love Diggs throwing his hands up in the air on the first drive when Allen missed him early in the game. Um, I I really didn't love him not sticking around and, and speaking at his post-game press conference and then doubling down and not speaking at locker cleanout. And I understand everything everybody says about, oh, he's a competitor and he took it hard. But my counter to that is it's, you know, if you want to give him credit for being a competitor, 
then it what you're essentially doing is you're saying that he cares more than Josh Allen and Jordan Poyer and Deion Dawkins and Tremaine Edmonds, guys who stood up in front of the media and answered questions after a tough loss. I mean, think about Jordan Poyer. Like in his mind, this is his last game in a Bills uniform unless things go right in free agency. And he spoke about it. So I feel like if we if we're gonna say that Diggs is such a competitor, he just couldn't speak about it then you're almost saying that those other guys don't care as much. And that's clearly not what you would be saying, Luca, but that's just how it comes off to me is let's not go so far to call him such a competitor to say that, oh, he cares so much he couldn't speak on it because other guys clearly care as well and they spoke on it. So I felt like as a guy who's been a captain, as a leader, I, I needed more from him in that spot. It's not a huge deal. It really isn't. But at the same time, that's a tough spot. You want your captains to speak up there. And he made himself a story in that game with how he acted on the sidelines and to not be there and talk about it that day or the next day and to wait until radio row to talk about it with the national media. And really, if anything, throw more gas on the fire than water. I didn't love it, Luca. Um, Where I would probably start with that is uh, people grieve differently. People handle high stress moments differently. People handle those moments differently. It doesn't make any one person care more or less. Everyone handles moments differently. I mean, I jokingly came onto this podcast when we were doing our rip season in full black attire, full black suit, shirt, everything, because it was a funeral to the season. If you want to even bring that further and say these players view it the same way, People handle death and handle the death of a family member or whatever it is, a friend, significant uh, acquaintance, whatever you want to call it, very differently. Some people can't even go to the wake or funeral service, but they still care about that person. And then others show up just to be there for the other people, you know, because they understand it's not for the dead necessarily as much as it is for the people grieving at that moment in time. Others are there just to honor or, you know, be there for one last goodbye to the deceased or whatever's going on. Everyone handles that moment different and how they handle their public image and how they handle the stress of the moment and all that. They handle it completely differently. And I respect that. I, I want you to be authentic to yourself. If you are so emotionally charged in the moment that you are being visibly upset with things and things are like to happen, I'm not even talking about if I agree or disagree with it. I've already kind of made my stance on that and I, I am okay with it more so than not um, with a lot of those things. The throwing the hands up early in the game, I would just be like, hey man, like still plenty of game time, dude. This is not, like if that happened in the fourth quarter, that's a whole nother story. Like I'm all with him because look for your guy, which is why he had the sideline rant, you know, obviously and stuff mm -hmm. like that. But you know, early in the first quarter, maybe I would like him to handle it slightly differently, but that's just nitpicking to me, like be authentic to yourself. And that's who Diggs is. Everything we've seen through this whole process is who he is. And I don't want him to ever come off any different way. Him and Poyer and Allen and, you know, Phillips and, and McDermott and all these guys, they all are different people and they all are who they are. And the one thing I love about this team the most is for the most part, it seems like they are all authentic to who they are. You hear about how Allen is outside of the locker room, you know, in the public and all that stuff. And he seems exactly from everything you hear about to be identical to what you see in front of the camera on the field, in front of a mic, all of that stuff. He is authentic to who he is. McDermott seems like exactly like what he is. Same thing. 
seems like exactly that person. Poyer seems exactly like the dude you see in front of a mic as well. Like all these guys, you go down the list are exactly who they are on the field, off the field, in pads, out of pads. Doesn't matter the situation. You could see them in the dinner table. You could see them on the field. They're going to be exactly that person. And I love that. I like people being authentic to who they are. And Diggs is clearly a highly emotional, highly, very intense person. And especially in these big, significant moments, it probably gets to him so much. And I can understand people not liking that. You know, it's your argument. What you just said is valid. Like everyone's allowed to feel the way they do about it. You know, it's what makes you who you are compared to who the person you are being critical of. That is absolutely fine in itself. But I'm okay with like if I met Diggs or I saw Diggs out there just being an emotional person on a pickup football game and stuff like that, even to me, that would almost make me more happy with what I saw on the field because he cares just as much about beating these guys on the, you know, some pickup field as much as he did in a divisional round game in the NFL playoffs like that. And I, I would, I would bet you like, he'd be more playful with it, but he'd be emotional about it. Like he would care. It's that competitive drive. They're ultra competitive people. That's you hear that all the time in all sports, golf, you know, football, hockey, anything. They're ultra competitive people. That's how they got to the position that they are. And some people just handle the grief and the realization that your entire season and everything you do just suddenly came to a stop and it died. And that is how he handled it in that moment in time. And it's probably just been building ever since that first year here in Buffalo. And maybe if you want to talk about him and Josh, and like you said, like for a long time, it seemed like they were just so tight and close and everything was perfect. It could be as similar as siblings fighting or just having a rift. And anyone that has a sibling, brother, sister, doesn't matter. You understand that happens. Like you can love your sibling and stuff like that. And also want to literally throw them down the stairs and watch them absolutely tumble every moment in that time. Like that is a real thing. And it may be just something is built up where they need a little bit of space, distance, whatever it is. And it's been created now through these frustrations that have been kind of put out there by digs. And that's okay. Like just mend it out. If we are going to learn a lot about everything in about six months time, like mm-hmm. when they come back to camp and stuff like that, that is when you're going to learn a lot and you're going to understand if there is a problem or not. Anything until then is all purely speculation. Like unless you see something actually happen in the summertime, whenever it is where Alan and Diggs are back to being buddy, buddy and stuff and excuse me, whatever else is going on, unless you see that happening, like it's all speculation and we're just going to have to wait until camp. And when everyone has to come back and report and go through this whole grind for the 2023 season, and I'm not willing to kind of go much further than just kind of understand what I think is right and agree with. And I agree with anyone else that has a different opinion. Like it's all speculation from the outside in it. it, We, we can't be there. And again, when everyone's different, when people handle stuff differently, when all that, there is no right or wrong answer. And because of that, if there's no right or wrong answer to me, I call that everyone's right. Because in the end, that just tells you that everyone that says something you could probably pull from piece together. And that is the correct quote unquote answer. That is actually what's happening. And that's just the reality of it. Like I, I am okay more so than not with how Diggs handles himself and what had happened in the past and stuff. You know, you just said that you didn't like seeing that. And both answers to me 
are very valid, very okay, because we both just see things through different eyes and lenses that that's just the way it is. And also understand, and I, I'm not going to speak for you on this and stuff like that, but I understand that time heals everything. Time changes everything. And in, you know, five, six months time, hopefully by that point in time, they get back to understanding how important they are for each other, how, how close they are for each other and stuff like that. And this will just be a laughable blip of a moment in the past that it doesn't matter anyways, because that's really what needs to be said. It's like, this is a moment that's had it's happened. Diggs has said his part. Allen has said what he has said on it. And I don't think it's a whole heck of a lot, but he doesn't really need to say anything on it. To be honest, I don't care what he has to say on it. He doesn't need to, if he wants to, he can, I don't, again, I don't care, but in all reality, it's just, you know, time will heal it. Time will just, it'll move on whether you like it or not. And hopefully in five, six months time, we don't, we're, we're not even thinking about this. This isn't even on the back of our mind. We almost forget about it unless we were to listen back to this episode and hear us talk about it like that. That's to me what I think this moment can inevitably become. It's the cumulative for me. If it was just a sideline rant, if it was just skipping out on talking after the game and, or if it was just not showing up for media, it's, it's the three things, sideline rant, leaving the locker room early after the game, not speaking the next day at locker clean out. And then multiple weeks later with a chance to be like, yeah, hey, you know, I mean, even if you don't believe it, like he's Stefan Diggs, like he has people in his life that can tell him like, hey, let's go ahead and just, you know, throw some water on this. Let's let's not let this be a thing. You can go enjoy your off season. Even if you're mad, you and Josh can hash it out, you know, behind behind the cameras, not in front of the cameras. And, you know, he, he threw gas on it and I don't think it was anything bad. I, I want to keep saying this is not Terrell Owens, Donovan McNabb. It's not even close. I think Stefan Diggs missed a very good opportunity at radio row to just do what we've seen him do countless times before gas up Josh Allen. Talk about how much he loves Josh Allen. One little comment about like, you know, I love, I love Buffalo. I, I love playing with Josh Allen. Like we're going to get this figured out. Even, even if you don't believe it in the moment, like we wouldn't be talking about this. It's just the fact that that moment never came. And then the cryptic tweets happen. I'm with you. I'm not going to ride this race all off season. This will probably be the last time I talk about it until, you know, maybe, you know, another story comes out like Adam Schefter tweeting something like, Oh, there's a riff there. I think they're probably not on the same page. I think that's probably where we're at. Uh, Josh Allen has had multiple times on Kyle Brandt's show to address it. The first time Kyle Brandt told Josh Allen, I didn't like it, and I know you don't want to talk about it. And then the second time was recently, after the Super Bowl, um, I want to say after the Super Bowl, the Tuesday after the Super Bowl, um, Josh Kyle Brandt said, why didn't you go to radio row? And Josh Allen was just like, ah, oh, you know, I had other things to do. I don't want to, I don't want to make a habit out of going there every year as a, as a guy who didn't make the super bowl, which made sense. And Kyle Brandt said, you know, you, I don't want to speak for you, but just kind of reading your body language. It makes me think that, you know, you don't think there's a lot of value in going there. And maybe there's some things you don't want to say. And the way Kyle Brandt said it, and Josh was like, I think you're pretty accurate, but that's pretty spot on it made it seem like Josh was biting his tongue a little bit and Hey, they're competitors. There's maybe everything is fine, but we don't know. Um, much smaller. You know, if I had a problem with you, Luca, I'd like to think that I wouldn't like call you out in the middle of a live show. Like I would just be like, Hey, like DM you after the show, like, Hey Luca, I didn't like the shirt you wore during that, uh, whatever, you know what, who cares? 
But, um, you know, this is where we're at. It's not, it doesn't seem like a big deal to me. And the biggest thing is Diggs's contract is not one that is necessarily one that the bills can just get out of anyway. So even if there is a problem, um, that we're probably going to just have to get through the problem altogether and uh, we'll see what happens. But, uh, this is, this is the reality right now is it, it feels like we're at least a little ways from the BFF cover of sports illustrated for kids. Are we just like a hop, skip and a jump away? And all it's going to take is those two having a beer together to get back there. Or, or is there a real problem here? Time will tell. And, uh, you know, we'll obviously keep our ear to the ground on anything we hear and we'll share that with you. But now Luca, let's talk about Diggs's teammates. Let's talk about the offense, the Buffalo bills offense and what it looks like for 2023. And we will start with his BFF cover boy, Josh Allen and the Buffalo bills quarterbacks. Right now, the Bills have two quarterbacks on their roster going into 2023. Josh Allen obviously is back as the starting quarterback, the franchise quarterback, and the primary reason why this team is in a Super Bowl window. And Matt Barkley was brought back on a one-year future deal, and I all expectations are he probably will resume his role as the practice squad veteran quarterback. But Case Keenum um, had a cap hit last year of... $3.5 million was acquired via trade last year, but his contract is up. Luca, I think this one's fairly short and sweet. I, I expect the Bills, they're obviously going to have to add a quarterback. And whether that comes through free agency or the draft, my guess on this is they would probably lean free agency here. Doing so in free agency does cost a little bit more. You could draft somebody in the sixth or seventh round, and it would be pennies on the dollar to even the two or three million that the, the veteran would cost. But you look at Brandon Bean, his time here since drafting Josh Allen, he really has leaned the veteran route. He seemed to learn his lesson from how poorly he insulated the position initially with Josh Allen, with A.J. McCarron, who was gunning for his job, and Nathan Peterman, who was a second-year player. From that point on, it was Derek Anderson, Matt Barkley, Mitch Trubisky, and then most recently, Case Keenum. There was obviously a Jake Fromm, you know, flyer taken in the draft. But um, I, I would expect the Bills to try to find the best veteran they can for the cheapest they can. I, I you know, we're not going to get into names tonight. I, Brandon Allen's, an, or I'm sorry, Kyle Allen's a name that always comes up because he's got a relationship with Josh. But I think the Bills are going to look for a free agent that has starting experience that'll come here at about $3 million a year to be the backup and let Matt Barkley continue his role of being Josh Allen's best friend and a good confidant on the sideline. All of it perfectly said. I, I really don't even have much to add to it. I think you're very spot on. The direction that they go, you know, we can probably discuss on a future episode if we really want to spend five minutes on it. But it, it in reality, exactly. Those are the those are the checklist items, you know. And honestly, I think Josh Allen's best friend is very high up there. I, I feel like they value that because one of the first things you heard about even Case Keenum from Josh Allen's mouth was, you know, he's a pretty likable guy or, you know, he's pretty funny to have in there and stuff like that. And then later on in the season, there was even a news story that we, you know, talked to the reporter on where they talked about Case Keenum in the, you know, inside the building and maybe how silly he might be at times. And that's right up Josh Allen's alley and stuff. And it's just one of the boys, right? It, it, that's what they're going to look for. That's how they're going to fill that position. But then also you need to have some sort of starting experience just in case, you know, you got to go down that road for a game to whatever's going on. And then Matt Barkley's Matt Barkley. So you're not doing that with him. So it, it's just, that is what it is. And Josh Allen's our guy. And, you know, just 
you just live with that. The backup is not going to be hopefully any sort of impactful player on this team. Hopefully they take a team friendly, simple little deal there and you just kind of move on with your life kind of situation with that whole Phil. I, I would think maybe they even look to replicate the Mitch Trubisky situation where maybe you take a guy who was a higher pick or maybe at least more highly thought of at one point in his career and for whatever reason has hit a rough road recently, whether it's injuries or inconsistencies, and you can get him for pennies on the dollar because he needs a mental reset. He doesn't necessarily want to compete for a starting job. He just wants to come in, work on his craft. A name like Sam Darnold makes a lot of sense. We will get into all of these names um, in a future episode when we have a full free agency preview coming up in the coming weeks. But Luke and I are aligned. The Bills have to add a name to this room. We both think it's going to be a veteran. A little trickier conversation coming up with running back, Luca, because the Bills have been aggressive at running back. They have drafted three running backs in the last four drafts on day two of the draft. Devin Singletary, Zach Moss, and James Cook were all day two picks in the draft. Uh, Zach Moss is gone. He was traded away for Naheem Hines. Devin Singletary is an unrestricted free agent after three years in a row of being the Bills' leading rusher. And Taiwan Jones, special teams ace, also gone, Luca. So right now they only have two bodies on this roster. They have James Cook, their second round pick from last year, who a lot of people feel like just needs more opportunity and can be that running back one. Naheem Hines, their trade deadline running back, who really was more of a kick returner and kind of a gadget guy out of the backfield a little bit down the stretch with a $4.79 million cap hit coming up this year. And the Bills can get out of almost all of that by releasing him. So I guess my first question to you, Luca, is we both agree that something is going to happen with Naheem Hines contract, right? It's either going to be you're gone or you're going to be cheaper. Yeah, I would I would probably lean to the latter, hopefully happening with this team. I wonder if Naheem Hines, after moving and stuff like that, kind of has a... I, I hate to say it like this because he's shown enough in the league as a whole, obviously with the Colts mainly that he can be a guy out of the backfield to do things for you. But he maybe that move then coming to Buffalo and stuff was kind of a reality check or a little bit of a mini slap to the face where it's like, Hey, you, you're not looked at as someone that can really be an impact guy week in week out. So we also understand that 4.79 million this year and then 5.4 next year is a significant chunk of money right now. One that we're not willing to probably pay someone that isn't a significant impact at that position. So we would like for you to take this, you know, kind of reduce in pay. And if you're not, we're going to release you and let you see what else is out there. I, I, I would absolutely imagine that he could hopefully view that ladder as where is a better opportunity than here. You know, it seems like this could be a time where the bills are going to lean on James cook a little bit more. You kind of pointed out how there's just no one else there. You spent this pick on him and I believe they do hold him in high regards. He's going to get a full off season under his belt and hopefully he can kind of explode out the gates there and things can work out really well. And Naheem Hines would be a nice compliment to that. And hopefully he can see that. If he doesn't, that's fine. He's going to get released. As you said, something's going to happen with this contract. There's no way I see the Bills just accepting almost $5 million for a guy like Naheem Hines with how they even use him now or what we have seen them use him. I, I would imagine if he were to come back that a full offseason maybe sees him get more touches and stuff, especially since there's really nothing else there to do it for you. But um, 
it's not going to be for almost $5 million. And hopefully he understands that. If not, it, it all the best to him. I think he can make an impact somewhere else even, and hopefully he can find money elsewhere. But um, I, me personally, I just hope he kind of holds uh, this organization and what he could potentially do for this team and high regards where a million dollars of difference or $2 million of difference is not going to make that big of a difference to him. And he'd rather worry about the product on the field than a couple million dollars, but I'm not going to stop a guy for trying to get as much money as he can, especially as someone that hasn't ever hit it big like him himself. So something's going to happen. They're either going to cut him or restructure him and they're going to come to an agreement with something. I'm just hoping for the latter. And uh, that's just going to be it from there. As we will get into, as we get closer to free agency, this is a loaded running back class when it comes to free agency. And one that might deter Naheem Hines from wanting to test the market. If the bills go to him and say, we will cut you if you won't take our, our price reduction. So I think what it comes down to is if we want to go off the assumption that Naheem Hines will be here at a reduced rate, which I think is where we both say is the most likely spot that gives the bills two of what should be four running backs. I think there is a Taiwan Jones conversation that needs to happen, but let's go to Devin Singletary because this loaded running back draft uh, free agent class that includes the league leading rusher, Josh Jacobs, that includes Saquon Barkley, Damian Harris. There are names out there that have either been high end bell cow running backs as recently as this past year, or in the name of Harris, just a guy that hasn't necessarily had the opportunity, but when he has has shined, I think Devin Singletary is outranked by quite a few of these guys, which could lead his market to bringing him back to Buffalo. Is Devin Singletary coming back to Buffalo something you even want, Luca? Oh, man. How do I say this politely? I value everything that Singletary has done so far. I think the body of work he has provided for this organization is solid, especially considering who he is as a player and what he can bring any organization. And I think, you know, what they have gotten out of the pick that they have invested in him is very good. And he has provided everything you could have asked for. And I'm really trying to be positive about this, but unless he's willing to take a couple million dollars, you know, basically what he has just made as a on his rookie contract, a day two rookie contract, if he's willing to just kind of accept that as his actual salary and he's not valued at anything higher than that, which let me just say this with a disclaimer, he should not think that way. He should try to get as much money as he can. He, you know, I've, I've said it on previous episodes and I am always in this camp. Players deserve to get as much money as they possibly can. Like the NFL makes so much stupid money off of these guys make as much as you can and do it however you need to do it. But if he's willing to kind of accept that salary and just the million and a half or whatever it is, that's very low a vet min essentially. Um, sure. Beyond that. No, I, I, I don't, you just kind of run it back with either getting another day two pick or even like a fourth round pick of a guy and then or found something else in free agency that is willing to accept that kind of pay because again i don't think the bills are in the kind of position or are in the kind of thought where they're going to be splashing cash at that position right and then if you want to even think that way if anyone out there does think that way you're not splashing your cash with singletary you you the one item you know exactly what the ceiling is of and stuff like that is probably not worth, and by probably, I mean it definitely is not worth splashing cash on 
So go splash it elsewhere on an unknown that you have seen at least a higher ceiling on tape and maybe in person across the sideline from you rather than Devin Singletary himself. So there's really not a world that I see myself wanting him back. It's just if he if he's will if all of a sudden we hear, you know, next week or whatever it is that Singletary signing a three year deal at one point two five a year or whatever is allowed at that, yeah. I'd be like, OK, like I have no problem with that. Is that real? No, not at all. And I don't expect that to be the case. So, no, I don't really see a path that I want him back on this roster. As simple as I can put it, I would take a $2.5 million cap hit for running back, put Devin Singletary and Naheem Hines in a room, put the contract in the middle of the table, and let them wrestle over it. And whoever comes out of the room can be our veteran running back at $2.5 million and the other one is gone. I might prefer Hines because he does offer the dy- the dynamic of being a kick returner. And I do think his skill set is more similar to Cook, where if Cook were to sustain an injury, I think Hines, what I envision Cook being next year, more so involved in the passing game. I think Naheem Hines has a lot of that, where if Cook were to go down, the offense wouldn't miss a beat with how I envision it being with Cook. Uh, but at the end of the day, I think you're splitting hairs. Devin Singletary to me, Luca, is the person you date for a while and they get along with all your friends. You're happy with them. Like you enjoy yourself. You like the person you are when you're with them. You enjoy all your time with them, but in the back of your mind, you just know this isn't the person you're gonna marry. So um you you ride it out because you know you're kind of afraid to go back to being single but you just know the longer you ride it out the the further away you're getting from finding that person that you want to marry i'm perfectly fine with the bills just saying hey devin like you said we got everything out of our investment you could have asked for you were a great value for a third round pick you were our starting running back for the better part of the last four years we hope you make it absolutely big in free agency if you don't and your market sinks like a stone you can come back here for the veteran minimum. We can't afford to pay you. We have this very expensive quarterback and this very expensive pass rusher and this very expensive wide receiver. Um, unfortunately, we can't invest any more money in the running back position. We wish you the best. And that's kind of what I want the Bills to do. So where I think they fall on running back, Luca, is I do think either Hines or Singletary will be here. I don't think both will be here. Um, I'm going to go ahead and assume it's Hines. I'm going to say Hines and Cook are here. Heinz on a reduced deal. I'm also not convinced that Taiwan Jones comes back. Um, Joe Marino brought up on his locked on bills podcast that even for a special teams ACE, you saw his numbers kind of dip. I trust Joe's eyes with that. I mean, we we're certainly you and I not scouting special teams. That's just, you know, and until we do this professionally, we're not going to sit there and like really scout special teams reps on all 22. We do what we can, but that's just not necessarily in our wheelhouse. We trust PFF on that. And his numbers did dip on that also. Um, And I just feel like a guy that's aging, uh, the Bills could be better off, better served using that roster spot on an actual player at running back. Because what you've seen is teams like the Chiefs strike gold with Isaiah Pacheco. You've seen the Niners strike gold with Mitchell. And what the Bills have done with Taiwan Jones is not allow themselves to strike gold because they're holding that roster spot at running back for a guy that only does special teams. And I'm hoping one of the lessons they learned last year, while I still think they're going to prioritize special teams, is their over-prioritization of special teams cost them Isaiah Hodgins. 
gave them a very expensive fourth string running back. Uh, Tyler Matikavich was an expensive linebacker. I think they need to, while still prioritizing special teams, understand that they cost themselves a chance to strike gold with like a sixth or, or seventh round pick. So what I think the Bills are going to do is it's going to be Hines, Cook. They might sign a, a, a veteran, very, very cheap veteran just to come in and see what they have and take maybe a sixth or seventh round pick or even an undrafted rookie. And there's your running back group for 2023. Yeah, I would. And I would be OK with that. I, mm-hmm. I think your special teams point is a very, very good one. I, I think or I would hope, I guess, is more what I would say to that, is they have that self-reflection moment of, boy, did we really screw this one up with a couple little bit of different things with our roster management, where we value certain depth pieces, and this just cannot happen again moving forward. I, I don't know if I say that or if I am as confident as you are with that, um, just because, unfortunately, I am starting to lose faith in this organization and understanding self-reflection and self-scouting and then where they can improve. Mm-hmm. I think that part of it is not necessarily as something as big as I would hope it to be. That's um, a larger conversation we can have. Yeah. I don't want to get this too, off season. You know, oh yeah. No, I'm with I don't you want to get too big into that one. Yeah. Um, but there's too much of a body of work that suggests that maybe they don't know how to do that as well as they should, or maybe they're not willing to accept that as how, as well as they should. Um, but uh, overall, I would like to see that happen. I would like to see their priorities change at small little things. I mean, you want to talk about just trying to make little improvements that could maybe garner great returns. That's a great spot. You can do that, right? You can just prioritize that little amount of cap and those little contracts to other moments or other pieces that can hopefully spark a bigger return for you because what you currently have there is just giving you exactly the return you have expected, if not something worse. And you're just kind of caught with your hands behind your back and you don't know what to do with it. And it's just, you live in a world where Isaiah Hodgins is having a very successful career so far with uh, the New York giants. And you just kind of feel dumb looking at that on the outside, looking at Yeah, and we're going to talk about wide receiver in a second. Have you ruled out completely a first-round running back? Yeah, I'm I'm not even close to entertaining that idea. Um, I am embarrassed that we somehow, a little less than a year ago, were starting to entertain that idea ourselves. We didn't pick that, luckily, but we Mm -hmm. entertained it heavily. And um, although I will say, until his injury, Brees Hall did look pretty good. But Can I I stick up for us? Yeah. I'm st- I still think taking Brees Hall in the first round last year would have been fine. I really do. Um, but things have changed. They took yes. a running back in the second round last year. Correct. And we we didn't have a second round running back on the roster. If you take a running back in the second round and then the next year you turn around and take a running back in the first round, what are you doing? Cook is your investment. Cook was your Brees Hall. You didn't get Brees Hall. You didn't get Kenneth Walker. You got James Cook, and he looks really good right now. So let's see that through. I will say there is a name in this draft, John Robinson. Oh, he's tempting to a lot of people, not to you and I, but not even remotely. There's going to be draft analysts that call him a top 10 player in this draft. They're going to say the same thing they said about Saquon Barkley, where you draft him and you just count down the days till he's wearing a gold jacket going into the Hall of Fame. All those things you hear, but you just have to resist the urge. 
because this team has needs. And we are going to talk about some of those needs coming up. I do not expect the Bills to take a first-round running back, even if Robinson is there, even though a lot of experts have already mocked him. But pay a little bit less attention to mocks in uh, February. Just keep that in mind. The combine hasn't even happened. Fullback, quick conversation. Reggie Gilliam is here for the next two years. He is just fine at his job. He is a special teamer. He plays his role as fullback very well. He's not going anywhere. Luca gave me a thumbs up. I'm comfortable with we can just move on from this conversation. (laughs) The Bills will probably add an undrafted free agent fullback that will block somebody impressively in preseason. Somebody will get really excited about him, and he will not make the team because Reggie Gilliam is a team favorite and is very good at his job. All right, wide receiver. You mentioned Isaiah Hodgins. And when we look at this group, Luca, the one word that comes to my mind is bear. Um, and not necessarily even for 2023, but looking ahead to 2024. Let's talk about 2023. The wide receivers they have under contract are Stefan Diggs, Gabe Davis, who's going into the last year of his, his rookie deal, Khalil Shakir, or I, we've been pronouncing his name wrong, Khalil Shakir, and then um, Isaiah McKenzie. And I have his number here. He is do, 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 do. This is great podcasting up uh, 2.9 million against the cap, but it's an easy clear where they could release him and only take on 300,000 in dead cap. Um, Cole Beasley, John Brown, Jake Kumaro, Jamison Crowder are all gone. They have future deals with Keyshawn Johnson, Des Patton, Isaiah culture. We're not going to talk too much about these future deals just because we don't know. I mean, we know enough about these players, but not enough to really factor them into the conversation. I think for the meat and bones of this team, just look at it like Stefan Diggs, Khalil Shakir, Gabe Davis, Isaiah McKenzie under contract. And then the big one, Luca, looking ahead to 2024, you only have two receivers under contract. Stefan Diggs, who will be 30 going on 31 in 2024, and Khalil Shakir. So they have to, whether it's free agency or the draft, fill out the bottom half of this depth chart. Yeah, this is where... um it's kind of like the linebacker position. It's kind of like the discussion where we had with the linebacker position last off season, mm-hmm. where it's starting to bear out. It's starting to kind of clear out where you're not sure what the direction is, but you still have a couple guys there that, you know, you can kind of lean on and stuff. But then after that, it really gets thin. And now it's like future wise, what are we doing? Where are we going with this? Because one of those pieces is I mean, and this is even in a worst case scenario because one of those pieces is in his 30s and the inevitable decline will come. Father time stops for absolutely no one. And it's like, okay, so Shakir's our only optimal athlete and Diggs is unfortunately starting his decline. Hopefully not, you know, hopefully not. Like hopefully he is an anomaly, but the reality is he probably isn't just because unfortunately no one is. And um, yeah, a lot of things have to be done here. Just a lot. It's, it's going to be a fascinating conversation and I don't really want to go too in deep with that. And I'm sure you will probably do a little bit here. So I'm going to kind of let you spin this one on how you want to talk about this position, because we're not going to talk about draft picks. We're not going to talk about free agents. Again, it's February here. We don't know how things are breaking out. I mean, people like to throw out a name like Juju in all reality, a guy like Juju is going to resign with the chiefs and he's not going to even be available a week before free agency starts. That is the reality of it. So it's foolish to just kind of sit here and rant on, endlessly for hours on end and talk about someone that probably won't even be there a week before the moment that you can actually sign them. So we're not going to go there, but 
on top of it, it's like when you are staring down the barrel of 2024, having two guys on the roster, a third year guy and Diggs, who's in his thirties, you need to address that with quality assets. And I say assets and it can be in free agency, the free agency pool. Honestly, we will dig into further and further episodes, but it's not the greatest compared to years past. Um, but then also draft and figure out what's there. So it, you're going to have to spend high end picks for this position or, and, or sign something of note in free agency that you can work out with money wise. Like, of course we don't have deep pockets here. We got to figure that out financially, but cap can be moved. Things can happen. And, you know, I trust that if there's one thing I trust about being, it's understanding the cap, understanding how to make things work and maximizing what you get back with that cap return. I understand he is very, very good at that and very good at understanding the money side of things. So I trust him fully to figure that one out because this is an area where he's really going to have to target. Um, McKenzie's an interesting one. If we want to talk about people specifically, I could easily see him not being on this roster. I could easily see them kind of doing the similar thing to Naheem Hines. And it seems really petty if you want to call it that, like, because we talked about Naheem Hines with 4.79 and now we're talking about a guy with $2.9 million. But even then, like the return you got, it's like, Hey buddy, we're not going to give you that. Like, are you willing to take a cut or are we going to cut you? And we're going to do this whole song and dance. And on top of it, you mentioned the running back market was deep. And I just mentioned how the wide receiver market may have not been that deep. Maybe McKenzie takes that as screw it. I'm going to see what the open market is. Cause I'm not liking where this is going here. And it's just kind of a separation of both ends. I don't know if that's actually what's happening. I just personally would entertain the idea of being like, I'm not paying you $2.9 million. We need to get creative with money somewhere. And we just don't even value it at that point. And then you have a guy like Beasley, who's probably going to be willing to take a vet minimum to come back and just be a reliable hands kind of guy deep piece for Josh Allen and make him happy. He's already been outspoken with wanting to be back. And then maybe you value a guy like we're not going to go into it, but like a Keyshawn Johnson that you signed to a future contract just for the record. I absolutely despise him. I really hope Keyshawn Johnson just goes away. He is an individual that I want no part of. I see nothing special with him. So if any of you out there think anything about him, screw you. But, um, it's just like you're going to have to do a lot of retooling there and you have a couple of little things in your pocket. You have Beasley. I, I don't really see Brown coming back. I don't see Kumaro coming back. I don't see Crowder coming back. Maybe like the injury is the whole question with him, to be quite honest. Like, where is he physically? What is his health like? Stuff like that. I, I don't think it's more than that. But um, so now you're staring down the barrel. If After all those names I just said, if if it's my world, you have Diggs, Shakir, Davis. You just released McKenzie, so your number four is Beasley. And nothing else after that. That is not good. You need another high-end asset in that room to kind of fill it out better because we saw what happens. And I hope Shakir steps up and takes a bigger leap forward in his sophomore season. And I hope Davis figures out whatever the F he needs to figure out to maybe make a bigger jump forward in his career path and do something more effective than be the lead leaguer, uh, the league leader in drops. Like, I hope that doesn't happen ever again for him, but you can't depend on that change happening. You need to have something that's more of a known in the holster ready to go. So a significant chip, whether it's a draft pick and or free agent signing 
needs to happen there so you can feel a lot more comfortable about that room because looking at dig shakir davis beasley is not something that i would even remotely entertain the idea of being comfortable with that is extremely uncomfortable and extremely bone dry when it comes to significant playmakers in that room and god forbid one injury happens you are dealing with a major crisis yeah mckenzie's got to go uh, it's time he's, he's maxed out his value. He's hit his ceiling. He doesn't offer anything in the return game. We've learned that particularly if Heinz stays, Heinz can handle any of the gadget stuff. If anything, it's a bigger mismatch because he's a running back on the field and he can line up in the backfield. And quite honestly, it's just time to shuffle the deck at the bottom of the wide receiver depth chart. He's going to be 28 years old. And for the role he has, he had a great opportunity this past year to shine in the slot role. And it just did not happen. There was nothing in his way. Uh, Cole Beasley was not here until mid-year, and they had to bring him back. Jamison Crowder was hurt, and McKenzie did not take advantage. I think we've seen enough to know that he has maxed out his value. So to me, I'm with you. There are three receivers on this roster right now, not counting the Pattons and the the, the Keyshawn Johnsons. I'll let you have that. I'm not going to fight you on Keyshawn Johnson. But I think what the Bills are going to have to do is they're going to have to ask themselves what they think of Gabe Davis. And almost regardless of what answer they come up with, they're going to have to draft a wide receiver early. Now, why do I say that? Because think about last year. Last year, in a very similar situation, they were staring down the barrel of having a bunch of linebackers coming into their last year of their deal. And the, the look ahead to the next offseason was, we only have Matt Milano under contract. Everybody else is gone. And Luca was on this, this podcast when I'm talking about wide receivers and running backs and offensive linemen, he's like, they're going to take a linebacker at some point and probably earlier than you're comfortable with. And I'm like, yeah, whatever. And then they take Terrell Bernard in the third round. Gabe Davis is the, in the exact same situation Tremaine Edmonds was in last year. He's coming into his contract year. Even if the Bills believe he is great or very good, they still don't know if he's going to be here beyond next year, and they have to insulate themselves with something beyond Khalil Shakir. And you look at Stefan Diggs' age, and you you want to factor in the fact that maybe he's a little upset. Let's not do that because I think that's just guessing, and that's not where I want to be on this podcast. But I think when you look at what's there, it all lines up that in the first or second round, the Bills need to take a wide receiver. And I don't know who that player is going to be. We will certainly get into it as we get closer to the draft. But I anticipate whoever they take in the draft, they're bringing in to compete with Gabe Davis for that number two receiver role. And I also think the Bills are going to look into free agency for a true slot. I've gone back and forth on this, and we're not going to go through names tonight. There's some names we'll obviously get into as we get closer to free agency. Like Lucas said, let's get closer to free agency. And then we can kind of have a better picture of what the receiver market looks like, not just from the guys that we think are free agents that end up resigning. More importantly, there are some really big names out there that when you look at their contracts are cut candidates, similar to Isaiah McKenzie, but much better than Isaiah McKenzie that could be out there. Keenan Allen, spoiler alert. So just keep that in mind. The, the landscape is going to change. And that conversation about a week before free agency is going to be our sweet spot for really talking about that. I think the bills need to look at adding a veteran to this group. They also need to look at adding one or two draft picks to this group and uh, really reshape the bottom half of that roster. I think the bills are probably higher on Gabe Davis than I am. 
at this point, I feel like Gabe Davis is a guy who, if he's your fourth wide receiver, your wide receiver group is probably really strong. If he's your third wide receiver, your wide receiver group is probably decently strong. If he's your second wide receiver, your wide receiver group better have a really good wide receiver one. We do. The Bills don't have a great wide receiver two right now. Um, I don't think Gabe, I think Gabe Davis has a very limited skill set. He does some things really well, but he doesn't run an entire route tree necessary to take advantage of some matchups that are available to a wide receiver that is running routes on the other side of the field from Stefan Diggs, catching passes from Josh Allen. So when you want to talk about the fact that, oh, we had 800 yards receiving, let's remember the fact Stefan Diggs is drawing all the coverage and he's catching passes from one of the best quarterbacks in the league. That spot was set up for somebody to compile stats. If you're happy with the stats that Gabe Davis put up this year, and that's your argument for him being a top-end wide receiver too, more power to you. That is a spot on this offense that should be able to explode given the attention that Diggs gets and given how electric Josh Allen is. And I think I think Gabe Davis fell way short of those expectations. He can certainly come here, compete next year, and it's going to be his contract year. Maybe he hits a boom. But, Luca, I expect the Bills to be aggressive in the draft and aggressive-ish in free agency as they fill out this wide receiver group. I'm with you on draft. I'm with you on draft 100%. I, I expect – the unfortunate downfall of not being aggressive out with that position last season, kind of smacking them in the face a little bit. And this is a year where initially I was unsure on how the wide receiver class was class was going to break down, but really like, again, we're going to go into it a lot more coming up, but and not in this episode, obviously I just want to make sure I preface that just in case you just joined us. No, I'm just kidding. Um, if, I'm not going to dive into it, but there is a lot of talent in this draft this year. And it's, it's at times might be specialized or they just have their strengths and weaknesses and stuff like that. But this is the kind of team where you kind of even painted it out in the wide receiver room where you already have that ultra premium guy in digs. So if you're not able to address that via a trade or whatever you were able to do to bring in a really nice, solid wide receiver too, you kind of need to start filling that stuff. You have a guy like Shakir, you hope can take another step. You have a guy like Davis who really, we now know can't be that wide receiver too dependent. So he can, we want to, as we kept saying all this year, slide him back into that comfortable role where we saw him excel and explode. How can you do that? Bring in a couple other things that can fill that other wide receiver two spot so that Davis can slide into that more comfortable higher end position that he has already shown he can be. And maybe you do that with an aggressive pick in the draft. Plus, like you said, a tame-ish, but still somewhat aggressive, finding a veteran solution in the free agents pool as well. I really lean towards the draft. I think there's a lot of things in this year's draft that we will go into further later date that could be had for the bills and a lot of fun talent there. And also just, you know, the, there's a guy when you talk about McKenzie, for instance, then you have other guys in this year's draft that could even fill that kind of position. If you're not even getting Naheem Hines, there are absolutely other little jitterbug guys. I like saying jitterbug because the guy that I have in mind, I don't know if necessarily the bills could get, but jitterbug is exactly what I would describe him as. He might be this year's Rondell Moore. Um, it's just like, there are guys to be had there in the draft and I expect the bills to do their due diligence. We'll call it to explore top to bottom what this wide receiver 
kind of class is going to be like and what guys they really like because we've seen in the past too kind of going back a few years now with like T Higgins and there was talks about them being interested in a T Higgins and then nothing came about that I really feel like they're kicking themselves for something like that like they are kicking themselves for not being aggressive trying to get T Higgins for whatever reason and um they don't want to kind of let the things slip away now that they have yet another opportunity and honestly a need to really fill out that room young and get something different in there so that they can hopefully take that next step as an organization moving forward. Ideally you're finding a wide receiver in the draft that can come in, compete with Gabe Davis for wide receiver too, but also has the skill set two or three years down the line to take over as wide receiver one when Diggs inevitably slows down, as Lucas said, father time stops for nobody and Diggs is going to be 30 this year. So, you know, I don't think the bills have that on their roster. We haven't seen enough from Khalil Shakir, obviously to rule that out. I think we can probably rule it out comfortably with Gabe Davis. that He's the number one of the future. Uh, they need to add some numbers here in the draft or free agency. Another quick conversation, Luca, I think will be tight end. Um, Tommy Sweeney is a free agent, not a whole lot of interest in bringing him back. I guess if he wants to come back on the veteran minimum, but I would actually expect the bills probably just to, uh, you know, say bye to Tommy Sweeney. And I don't expect him to be overly aggressive at this position though, because what you look at it, you have Dawson Knox, who obviously is on a long-term deal. He got big money last off season. They have Quentin Morris under contract this year. They're obviously decently high on him. They do have a guy, Zach Davidson, they brought in on a futures deal for the next two years. He's somewhat of an intriguing athlete. He was a punter in college. But also, we cannot forget Reggie Gilliam, who we talked about. We talked about fullback. If an injury happens at tight end, Reggie Gilliam is kind of a move H-back who can be fullback. He can be a tight end. So I feel like the Bills probably feel good about the group they have at tight end. I would not expect them to go out and address this in free agency. And honestly, unless it's a situation where they get to the third day of the draft and they're like, oh man, there's a tight end here that we had rated as a third down, a third round grade and it's the sixth round, we might as well take him at this point. I think the Bills probably will invest a very small investment in a third or fourth string tight end and just see if they strike gold. Yeah, free agency, no chance. Mm -hmm. I, I don't see any free agent being even remotely thought about for this team. I will be shocked if we hear anything otherwise where they do sign someone. The draft is interesting just because there are some very intriguing prospects in this year's draft um, where I don't know if I necessarily agree with you on that one. I think a guy like Michael Meyer, I mean, he is just so fascinating in his production at Notre Dame and things like that. Like he blows you away with a lot of the things he's able to do. And the fact that he was able to carry an offense of Notre Dame by himself where there wasn't, like think about being a tight end on your team and you are the number one, two and three weapon on that team. And you actually found success. That's pretty impressive. And you're probably pretty good at what you do. Um, but unless something happens with him, let's say if, since I bring him up here it, it, where he falls to a point where it's like your value on him is just so high, exceeding the point of where he's fallen and you need to try to do something like that. And then you could maybe create something from that within your offense that you didn't expect to need to create. Uh, yeah, I'm not, I'm with you on that. Like it just doesn't seem like something. And also just before I go crazy here, I don't expect an individual such as the guy I just talked about there Myers to have a cataclysmic fall. If anything, he will probably rise to a certain point because there is a lot of hype around him. 
Uh, he does also have the nickname of Baby Gronk, if you weren't aware. So just, Ooh. you know, do that with what you will. Well, speaking and- <laughs> of Gronk. Yeah. Rumors. Yeah. Are, I mean, there's rumors, Luca. There's rumors. Yeah, there are rumors. And of course, he said it and things like that. And he joked around, I think, even that a team out there offered to let him wear number 69 and he would have to, you know, report himself as eligible every time. So you'd hear number 69 is reporting as eligible every play, which would honestly, if we want to have that discussion, I would love (laughs) if they sign him (sighs) at any team. I don't even care. Houston Texans. If you are the team that was willing to sign Gronk and do something like that, absolutely go for it and i will put you on the big screen on a football sunday and watch you and hear that pa announcement every snap that would be gold we are adults (laughs) but we are adults and this is what we talk about and i'm with you come on it would be so funny but remember last off season how excited we were about the two tight end set of dawson knox and oj howard (laughs) <laughs> yeah. I, I wouldn't call it excited. It was intrigued. We were yeah. happily intrigued in seeing what they were going to do with that. Fortunately, that came to absolutely nothing, but um, it would be fun to see something like that. Like that's where baby Gronk to me, it's like, if all oh, you can get the value for baby Gronk, if he mm-hmm. falls somewhere to a point, although a lot of people, again, as you even pointed out early, mock drafts are mock drafts, but you just see stuff thrown out there all the time where the Bengals are the team that's looking at him in the first round. It's like, cool. Like, I don't know if the Bengals are looking at that. I don't know what the Bengals situation is. Clearly, these people do, and they think that's value to them. But um, if that didn't happen, and all of a sudden he's an early day two guy, like, I would absolutely, if I would be, I would imagine he has a pretty high grade on him, and he'd be like, oh, screw this. Like, I look at this guy as a, he's not a tight end, he's a weapon. And let's go trade up and get him mm-hmm. and use that. Like, you can use him lined up out wide he has shown you can do that things like that like that's where the value then just exceeds what your position is at this point it's like go get it like and i i think that then brings us into the wide receiver conversation what we just had where yes they will be aggressive looking for weapons of the future and then maybe something like that happens with an individual like him i don't think that actually happens again let me just preface it one more time i actually expect him to be drafted higher than what you would expect he is going to be a guy that i imagine excels at combine stuff notre dame people and stuff like that generally have very good combines and very good interactions with coaches and staffs and all that kind of stuff and they go higher than you would think for a reason so don't don't listen to me and think that this is something that i've seen anywhere i don't expect that to be a thing it's just the only time i would ever see them address the tight end position it's such a high-end way is that that's the only situation i see that happening i don't think that happens so therefore to round it this crazy conversation we just had up josh no i yeah no no draft picks unless something crazy is there day three like you said and free agency is not something i pri- think they prioritize whatsoever there's a lot of other needs here and you f- should feel okay with what you have at the tight end room but let's just be clear the bills are not in a position where they should be turning down the opportunity to add any blue chip talent. You and I are not sitting here right now, pounding the table for the bills to take a tight end in the first round. That is not where our heads are at. But if the bills view a tight end prospect as being the next Rob Gronkowski, what I don't want to hear them say after the draft is, well, we have Dawson Knox (laughs) and then he goes to the Bengals and then the Bengals who have Tyler Boyd, Jamar Chase, 
T Higgins now insert baby Gronk into their offense. And we're left with Stefan Diggs and his little leaguers around him of Dawson Knox and Isaiah McKenzie and Naheem Hines. I don't want to live in that world. So while I understand the tight end is not where my head is at sitting here on February 19th, if they view that player as being that special, you take him and you figure it out when the ball is snapped of how to get him the ball. And that is what you pay Ken Dorsey, the big bucks. for. So that'll be interesting to watch play out. We are almost an hour and a half into this offensive podcast, Luca, and we have not once talked about offensive line. And I would say that Bill's mafia, at least based on Twitter is split between what they think the Bills' biggest need is, blockers or pass catchers. And I would say that the consensus, or not the consensus, the majority has actually erred toward blockers, which, you know, I understand. I watched Roger Saffold play football this year, and it wasn't pretty. We watched Spencer Brown at times wondering, does he even know the ball is snapped? So let's talk about offensive tackle. I do think there's probably a bigger need than tackle that we'll get into in a bit, but what the bills look like in 2023 is Deion Dawkins is back. Spencer Brown and Tommy Doyle are both going into year three of their four-year rookie deals. And then behind them, they have Alec Anderson and Ryan Van Denmark, who were both on the practice squad last year. The one name they are leaving or losing is David Question, excuse me, David Questenberry to free agency. And then if you want to still call him a tackle, Bobby Hart is also a um, a free agent, but he was much more of like a move tight end this year, like a, a heavy package tight end. Um, let's start with the two free agents. I think they value Bobby Hart for the role he plays. And if he wants to continue to come back on minimum deals, I could see him continuing to be the heavy package tight end. But if Tommy Doyle can get healthy, he did fine in that role two years ago. I don't know if you need to force it with Bobby Hart. And then Questenberry. Um, I probably am going to differ from you on him. I think Questenberry is a valuable football player because he can play four positions. He can play left tackle, right tackle, left guard, and right guard. And for a guy on game day to get you out of a, out of a game where you lose a tackle or a guard that can play four positions, I think is valuable. What he can't do is he can't get you out of a season where you lose your tackle. And that's the biggest problem is you want a third tackle who can come in and actually like take meaningful snaps for a meaningful period of time and not just the last 20 snaps of the game to get you out of the game. If the bills can get Questenberry back Luca on a, on a cheap veteran deal as like, Hey, you're going to be our fourth tackle and you're also going to be our third or fourth guard, however it lines up. And you're going to be a guy who's super valuable to have active on game day to get us out of a game. If we have an injury, but then the next week we'll probably ramp somebody else up to start in that position. Cause you're not quite there. I like the idea, but I do think, and we can talk about this in a second, the bills need to prioritize tackle three or maybe even tackle two. Yeah. That last point, that little cliffhanger at the end there you left is a very vital piece to all of this. Mm-hmm. Priority is not Questenberry. And I think Questenberry potentially at this point in his career is going to try to play as many snaps as he can get as much money as he can. Cause he's on the back end of his career and that's fine. And I don't see that being here. I don't necessarily care if that's here. And if he is willing to agree to essentially a min or very cheap deal to be a tackle for, and just kind of that break class, break glass offensive lineman for you on game days, 
more power to him to have a self-realization of that's all you're worth in this league anyways because that is all he's worth in this league anyways i do think that's a valid point you know you're trying to like paint you know put lipstick on a pig kind of deal right there and very well done josh but um that is all he's worth if he's willing to do that sure but i don't think he's going to be that kind of guy i'm I'm assuming he's going to try to test the waters see what he can get and eventually find a texans or a whatever uh falcons uh bears uh you know, whatever team that's willing to just pay him to kind of be a more meaningful body out there and just take the money as he can. And that's cool. Like do it again, get the money you can. So in all reality, I don't really entertain the idea of bringing him back, but the big, big question is what are you doing with tackle? Because in my humble opinion, Spencer Brown is not a guy. And until he shows me something significantly, otherwise he is your tackle three at best. And now you really need to figure out that tackle two spot. Unfortunately, tackles and offensive linemen do not grow on trees and there aren't just a plentiful amount out there. And you have free agents and draft picks that are going to come in and slide into that two spot, like a wide receiver potentially can and stuff like that. So I also am real in understanding that and where you probably are looking at Spencer Brown being your tackle too, no matter what you do, barring anything crazy going on. So it's I that's where my head's at. I want this team to not care about a break glass offensive lineman in Questenberry or a you know big size tight end package guy like Bobby Hart or you know hopefully Tommy Doyle does come back and like you said fill that role anyways and we're doing good there because as you pointed out correctly so he did do a great job with that two years ago and that's kind of an added little bonus there where you can take those funds of a Bobby Hart and Questenberry and use them for a tackle two slash three that would be great um but uh, yeah, that's I even if Tommy Doyle is not necessarily that guy you really are wanting to be that, but you're just kind of hoping for that's a time to take a gamble because you really need to focus on that tackle two three spot. You really, really, really need to focus on it because even your tackle one is not, get, you know, how do I do? He's he's startable. Deion Dawkins. Dawkins does yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he does his job well, but he's not like. He's not a Trent Williams. I mean, look, I'm talking about a Hall of Fame offensive lineman here, but yeah. he's not a Trent Williams. He's not an impact tackle. Let's call it that. He's not someone that you're like, I can literally ignore the left side of the offensive line because I know you're getting all pro, just solid play out of that guy. No, he can be on one leg and he's going to be this all pro guy, which is basically what Trent Williams has done the past five years of his career, it seems like. So Deion Dawkins is not that. So because he's not that big of a significant player, you can't get away with Spencer Brown and then just giving him all the help you possibly can and stuff. And that is just yet another reason you really, really should focus your resources however you need to to get that spot there. We talked about wide receiver, though, being the one that you really are aggressive with in the draft. And I still stand by that. Offensive line is one where you're going to have to get very creative on how you are achieving that tackle two, three spot. And whether that's free agency draft and stuff, you just, I feel like wide receiver is the one that I, and it's the one that I really want them to focus on blue chip picks and really get some quality assets for the now and future for, but offensive line is the one that I want to hear that they spent the most time this off season, really diving into and figuring out because you had to become creative and you had to really do your due diligence on the 30th ranked 
uh, free agent and, and out there for tackle slash guard position. And you had to look at the 15th offensive lineman on the board and stuff like that. Like you have to do your crazy due diligence on understanding what's out there and really, really, really put all your energy and focusing on that. Because I feel like wide receivers and skill positions, there's a good enough method out there that what you understand on the surface is more likely than not what it is in reality. Whereas offensive line truly is still kind of a miss there it's it it's not something you truly understand like no one understands exactly what makes a great offensive lineman or an offensive tackle in this particular position and you got to really just have that tick and itch and understanding of what works what doesn't and what works for you because a great offensive lineman for someone else doesn't necessarily mean they're a great tackle for you like that is not how it works there is no one way to do that position particularly like it's it's why it's so important and I, I do love that we have come to this world now, Josh, just to kind of wrap it up here, where you have an entire fan base finally understanding the value of the big boys in the trenches and finally understanding that no matter if football is a passing game or running game, whatever it is, those big sons of bitches lining up on the line of scrimmage are very, very important to the success going to a deep season. They are very important. There will be a loud roar from every draft watch party with Bills fans when they take a guard at 27th overall. When it comes to tackle, Luca, um, I'm with you. I would say that there's a few things that I'm very confident in when it comes to how I think Brandon Bean views this roster. I am very confident that Brandon Bean holds Spencer Brown in a higher regard than probably you or I do. And I think they're really banking on that third year leap from him. You heard Brandon Bean saying his end of season press conference that Spencer Brown was a guy that played at a small school and his development was impacted by COVID, the, the COVID season. And, you know, he's still such a freakish athlete and it's going to be his second year with Aaron Cromer. I think the Bills are setting themselves up because they can't address everything. They really can't. And they're setting themselves up to talk them in talk themselves into a third year of Spencer Brown starting at right tackle. I expect them to do something similar with what they did with Questenberry, find a free agent on the street with starting experience. Um, who that guy is, we'll address in a future show. Uh, starting experience, but not overly expensive to come in and compete with Spencer Brown, but also be that reliable swing tackle if and when the Bills suffer an injury to Spencer Brown or Deion Dawkins. And also it is worth noting that part of Spencer Brown's development this year was slowed down by a back injury. He had coming into training camp. He didn't get a lot of reps in training camp. So there's enough meat on the bone of talking yourself into Spencer Brown, taking a leap in year three that I can see the bills doing that. I think the bills attention is going to be on a different position on this offensive line, which is the next position we're going to talk about. It's interior offensive line. We're going to just going to group them all together because Mitch Morris is back and uh, Ryan Bates is back. Roger Saffold is a unrestricted free agent. He has voiced his uh, interest in coming back. I'm, I'm rolling my eyes. If you can't see, uh, if you're not watching the video clip, uh, let's just be honest. Like Roger Saffold seems like a good guy, but his year in Buffalo did not go well. Uh, he, he finished very poorly rated on PFF I believe he was 74 of 78 tackles that they graded that were eligible as far as snap counts go. And there were multiple times that we just sat here and questioned on the post game show, 
What is he doing up front? He got Luca's end of year game check award for the entire season for a player who was most disappointing player. And I, I think all of that leads me to the point of we like Deion Dawkins. Deion Dawkins is not Trent Williams. We get that, but he's a solid left tackle. But what's happened next to Deion Dawkins his entire career, dating back to his rookie year when he was playing next to Richie Incognito, is he continues to have left guards change year over year over year, and the Bills have not found stability, whether it's been Ryan Bates or John Feliciano or Quentin Spain or Richie Incognito. It's been just one guy after the next, and they need to solidify that spot and let that guy and Dawkins grow together, which is why my mind is on the draft. One other option they could go to, Luca, is Ryan Bates moving back to his more natural position of left guard. And then with Ryan Bates being the only guard under contract because Greg Van Roten is also a free agent, um, I would not expect them to bring him back unless he comes back on a pretty cheap deal. He, he was decent for the Bills, but you know, just the depth piece. Um, I thought Joe Marino's comment on Ryan Bates was just spot on. You don't need all pros at all five positions on the offensive line. You really don't. If Ryan Bates is your fifth best offensive lineman, your offensive line is probably just fine. The problem with the Bills is Ryan Bates is their third best offensive lineman. And when when Joe Marino said that, it just hit me like a ton of bricks like, bricks, like yes, Ryan Bates is fine. But the problem is here, he's their third best offensive lineman. They have to find a way, whether it's Spencer Brown development or drafting a guard in the first or second round to make Ryan Bates their fifth best offensive lineman. And then this line will be wherever it needs to be. I'm cool with Ryan Bates being a starter at right or left guard. Maybe left is where he's going to be settled in at. Well, time will tell. And then could eventually be the center to take over for Mitch Morse, who's still under contract when if and when he decides to move on. Uh, but they absolutely, Luca, have to prioritize adding a guard to this team right now it's left guard where Saffold is vacating I would expect they're going to look into free agency there's some intriguing names out there uh, I also think that if they don't go heavy in free agency that night one of the draft we're going to be looking square at left guard coming off the board potentially as early as round one it's a fair point it's a it's a fair statement to make um I wouldn't disagree with that at all um I personally would think interior offensive line is very, very important. And in the Mitch Morse is coming back. And even that whole reality of Mitch Morse and his career and where it's going to be in the, you know, short future, I guess is the way to call it. Immediate future is in doubt in question. So interior offensive line. And as you said, if, if all of a sudden we're talking about Bates and he is our third best offensive lineman, which he is, um, if then you lose your second best offensive lineman and you need to then move him over to that center spot, well, hopefully you already addressed that point where someone then slots in for Bates and you're good to go still. You can't leave that to chance of that season when that has to happen. You you want someone that understands what's going on around them, hopefully. So I would think that free, I think the point about free agency, though, tipping the hand of their draft plans is is probably the most valid point of your statement. I think we will learn a lot about where they think they can improve this team at the certain places they need to in those opening 72 hours, opening week of free agency. Be, and from there, you can really get smart with how you do your draft board and your predictions and stuff, because that first round pick ultimately is going to become either 
and we this is us hoping but i would really think that this team understands it's going to be offensive minded it's just are you doing it with a big individual or a skilled individual not saying that big guys aren't skilled they are very good athletes themselves but you you understand my point there it's you're going one of two ways with that pick there so whatever you do in that opening 72 hours to first week of free agency is going to really determine on how you actually utilize that first round pick and everything else that falls behind it. And if they aren't ultra aggressive with an interior offensive lineman and a tackle in free agency, yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you that I expect an individual above the weight of 300 pounds on the offensive line to be drafted with that 27th pick that I, I want it to be a wide receiver. I, I want so badly for a skilled player and stuff like that. But if they are not able to address this immediately with quality pieces in free agency, and it's just not there to be had, you have to do it. It's the one rare circumstance where you just find yourselves in a position where the need in the immediate future and the foreseeable future lines up perfectly and you have to address it. It is just the reality of it. You can't overthink it. You can't get too crazy and try to be creative from there. You need to use that big blue chip piece that you have known as a first round pick on this big boy available, the best big boy available, the one you love the most, whatever it might be, you need to do it. It just has to happen. Yeah, and we know Brandon Bean is the type that likes to fill the holes he can in free agency so he doesn't go into the draft having to do anything because ideally you could fill your needs in free agency and then really free yourself up in the draft to take the best player available. I don't think Brandon Bean's going to be able to do that this year. There's just so many needs on this team, not major, major needs, but enough needs to go around and not enough funds to go around where this team is really going to probably be in a position where um, they're going to be relying on that first and even second round pick to come in and play a big role, which they were apprehensive about last year with some guys like Shakir and, and cook and Elam. So we'll see what happens going forward, but we put a question out on social media. We knew we were going to be talking about the offensive side of the ball. And the question was, if the bills blank, their offense will be just fine in 2023 Luca, we had 200 comments 208 comments on facebook and then um a handful more 25 to 30 on twitter so why don't you just kick back Luca? i'm gonna go ahead and read all 208 comments here and for the next hour and a half you can just go ahead and relax no uh what we're gonna do is we're only gonna go through a few because uh, honestly a lot of them were were repetitive um very much so a lot of the same things like there was a bunch of people that said block better yes 100% the bills block better they will do better and we we are totally aligned with you lucas said it best i think all of bills mafia is now on board with how important offensive line is um adding a weapon was another big one but let's go through some of the uh responses here i flagged some here on twitter and i will get there in 1 second here Okay, by Jerry Sullivan, which is a interesting name. Uh, by like goodbye, Jerry Sullivan is the name. By Jerry Sullivan on Twitter, like three times in a row mentioning his name, and I think it's the only time we'll ever say Jerry Sullivan on this show. Retool the offensive line, sign Odell Beckham Jr., get Khalil Shakir the ball, use more play action. Use more play action is interesting 
the Bills did not run play action nearly as much as they did in previous years under Brian Dable. And you also look at some of their lack of success they've had with the screens. And there was a study done by Jets X Factor that showed that there was actually a lot of yards to gain for the Bills on screen passes. And maybe it's a Josh Allen ball placement or timing issue. What do you think about play action, Luca? Is that something that you want to see the Bills maybe even get more RPO going in their offense? Uh, RPO. Ooh, yeah. I mean, I guess that does go under the play action kind of thing. It's yes. I'm not the kind of guy that beats the drum where, you know, you have to have the play action and all that kind of stuff. Like I, I feel like you just do what works. Like you have to just do what works and do what works the most. Right. And whatever you feel works the most in this offense is what you need to do. You need to get the ball in the places that you find the most success. However you do that, I do not care whether that's through play action, screen game, deep balls. Don't give a shit. Like, just do it the way you need to do it and how you do it best. But from what we've seen and all these metrics and stuff like that, it does seem to indicate that with the lack of play action and the massive dip of calling play action, it, it seems to somewhat correlate i don't want to say directly correlate but correlate to the issues and woes that we have been seeing comparative to what we have seen the years past and hopefully like just to bring it all back to it like this this organization this off front office this coaching staff can actually you know reflect on this do some self-scouting and figure out where their flaws were so they can improve on them and be better for this next upcoming season that would probably be a place that we would like to you know circle a three, four, five times with the red Sharpie and be like, Hey buddy, like explore the idea of maybe improving that a little bit or expanding on it or working on it somewhat more where you are at least keeping them honest in this world a little bit more than you did because what you just put out there got you 10 points in a divisional round game and it looked awful. And like you were pulling teeth to get those 10 points. So this is probably an area and, and a, a place that you can really improve and maybe try to create more yards and points on the board for this upcoming season. Potentially. Yeah. It's a, it's a great point by the person that brought that up. I think a lot of people probably share that person's feelings. Um, you mean by yeah. Jerry Sullivan <laughs> I'm trying to avoid saying the name <laughs> I know. Um, respect the hustle though on Twitter. Uh, so, but so it, it, I think they share the feelings with that play action is definitely a place. I would also agree with him where I would like to see this offense kind of grow or maybe get back into dip their toes back into exploring the world of play action and figure it out that way. Joe Gagliano. I hope I pronounced your last name, right? Says spend every single draft pick on offense because Philly proved having an elite defense is moot against elite offenses. Obviously, there's some exaggeration in that, but I don't hate the point at all, Luca. Philly's defense is what if the Bills spend their entire offseason building up their defense, they're going to hope they build a defense as good as what Philadelphia had on the field. And the Chiefs scored on every single second half possession. And you can talk about some of this, some of the strategy Philly was using with off coverage that didn't allow their defensive line to take advantage of the chiefs offensive line situation and the mismatch there with their D line that had multiple people on the D line getting double digit sacks this year. But the point remains you get deep enough in the playoffs. These elite offenses are going to find ways to score points. And what I think the bills have been doing the last two off seasons when they've seen their seasons end in Arrowhead is they've said this team beat us in a shootout. 
two years in a row. The first AFC championship game was not necessarily a shootout. They got run out of the building. Um, and their answer was, we have to stop them. So they went out and they drafted Gregory Rousseau and Boogie Basham. Then they went out and signed Von Miller to a $20 million APY deal. When, while I wouldn't give back Von Miller, I wouldn't want to give back necessarily Gregory Rousseau, although maybe you want to tell me some wide receiver options we had there, I'd listen. I think what the Bills needed to probably do was tell themselves it doesn't matter necessarily the defense we have on the field because the defense that was on the field in the 13-second scheme in Arrowhead was the number one ranked defense in the entire league. We need to be able to win a shootout with the Chiefs. We got to be able to score points. When it's game on the line, season on the line, and Stefan Diggs is double covered, do we have a better option throwing a jump ball to Gabe Davis? That's where the Bills need to get to. When they have Christian Wilkins or Jeffrey Simmons or Chris Jones lined up across from us, do we have a better option than Roger Saffold to block those guys? That's what the Bills, I think, need to get their headspace into is it's not about trying to compile this, this 11 players on defense that can stop the Chiefs. It's can your defense slow down the Chiefs enough that your offense can go out there and win the day. And the last time this offense was on the field, Luca, they scored 10 points to your point. So I like that point a lot. A lot of it, you know, again, it was guys to catch the ball, guys to block, uh, get rid of Ken Dorsey. I, I think we both understand now at this point, Ken Dorsey's here to stay. Um, Eric B was kind of the last domino to fall and he went to Washington as their offensive coordinator. Uh, so it feels like the bills are certainly going to run it back. Have not heard anything on Joe Brady getting a potential offensive coordinator job. He had interviewed with the Chargers, so that seems like um, they're going to pretty much have their entire staff back, obviously with the exception of the uh, swap out of wide receiver coach we mentioned earlier in the show. All right, Luca, we are rapidly approaching two hours. Any final thoughts you have here on the Bills, on the Bills offense, or anything else you'd like to cover before we uh, get out of here and then begin to turn our attention to the defensive side of the ball for the next episode? No, I, I like that final point, you know, talking about offense, just real quick. I think there's just been a large misunderstanding of like what actually wins championships because that classic Fugazi line of defense wins championships and stuff. It's the biggest farce in all the world. Like that is not how it works. Think about a lot of the recent Super Bowls, even before pass happy offenses were a thing in the NFL, like the Brady's always getting a walk off field goal and stuff in championships. It's the offense that got them there. It's always the ability on offense to create points to win games. That's always where you get to in big moments. The teams that win are the ones that are best setting themselves up. It's not because they're off or their defense was doing it. It's because their offense was doing it. That's just how it works. I think defense wins championships is the biggest farce and the biggest nonsense saying that has existed apparently since the beginning of time, or at least since my time. And I just hate it. I hate it so much. Need an offensive mindset going forward. Now, I think your point on that was perfect. And, um, God, I hope these offseason moves are I, I don't know about all draft picks because obviously you just best player available at certain points. And I don't imagine they're all going to be offensive players. But uh, yeah, like I want that focus to be there, just like how that person's saying. And that point is driven very, very clearly. Speaking of defense wins championships, I want to recommend some offseason viewing for you all. The 30 for 30 on the bullies of Baltimore, the Baltimore Ravens of 2000. I was obsessed with that team because uh, they were just so interesting. They 
they were on the initial season of Hard Knocks the year after. So you really got to know a lot of those players like Tony Saragusa, Shannon Sharp, Ray Lewis obviously had the um, the situation where he was accused of murder the season before. So that was a big focal point. Such a wonderful job they did for 30 for 30. So watch that. Also speaking of defense wins championships, whether or not you believe the defense wins championships, the Bills still have to field a defense next year, Luca. And you and I need to figure out what they're going to do with some pretty key spots on that defensive side of the ball, including a couple guys who are upcoming free agents that may have played their last games in Bill's uniforms that a lot of the fan base will be sad to go. So we are going to sort through Tremaine Edmonds. We're going to sort through Jordan Poyer. We're going to sort through what we can expect with Tredavious White and Von Miller on, on their ACL recovery paths they're on. Obviously, Tredavious White's a year ahead there. And we're going to be talking about what resources the Bills should be pumping into their defense this offseason and where they have holes that need to be filled. Uh, And we will get into that on the next episode of Bills Chat. We can't thank you enough for spending this episode with us. For Luca, I am Josh. We will see you next time on Bills Chat. Bills Chat.